I have a friend who is known by many people for many things. His extreme friendliness, his outrageous sense of humor, and his big, thick, black beard. But more than any of those things, and more than anything else, this friend of mine stands out for his service of others. He serves his church as an elder and a youth sponsor and a music leader. He serves the community as a volunteer firefighter and kind of the unofficial uh, welcomer to new people. And he serves countless other individuals as well. He shovels driveways and cuts firewood for widows. He fixes cars and appliances for other people. He really just meets needs whenever he sees them. In fact, he is so well known for his service that his wife understandably gets annoyed at him sometimes because he's always out helping others. Sometimes he's not around enough to help his own family. But this is what he's known for. And, and maybe some of you also know people like this. People who just stand out for their service of others. Well, as we continue along today in our study of Paul's letter to the Philippian church, and we land here in chapter 2, 19 to 24, we meet another young man who likewise stood out for his service. This is what he was really known for. And it's Paul's protege, Timothy who we first met in chapter 1-1 as the co-sender of this letter. But we also meet him in the book of Acts and in many other places in the New Testament where we learn that he was taught the scriptures at a young age by his mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice. He eventually came to share their faith, even though his Greek father did not. And eventually he began to do a gospel ministry all around the Roman world with the Apostle Paul, who became kind of like a spiritual father to him. In fact, he had been with Paul when he planted the church in Philippi in Acts 16. And then he went on subsequent occasions to visit the church in Philippi, as we see in Acts 19 and 20. And this is why, as we'll see, the Philippians knew him. Well, now Paul was about to send Timothy to them again as his representative while he was still stuck in prison. And in order to reassure the church that Timothy was a, a qualified representative for the apostle to have this great responsibility, Paul writes, we see here, that he had no one like him. There was no one better than Timothy to take his place in the church there. And that's because Timothy was a minister whom the Philippian Christians should not only welcome in Paul's place, but also imitate as a model servant. So you'll remember at the beginning of chapter two how Paul had exhorted the Philippian believers and all other believers as well to have the selfless mind of Christ together. Well, now at the end of chapter two, as we saw last week, he gives three examples of such servanthood. He started with himself last week in verse 17 to 18. This week now, he, he shows us uh, Timothy. And next week, he will show us Epaphroditus in verses 25 to 30. All of these men were model servants that we would do well to follow. But as we'll now see, it was Timothy who specifically stood out as a servant, counting others more significant than himself and seeking the interest of others. That's what Timothy was known for. 
And what Paul wants his readers, including you and I, to also be known for. That like Timothy, we would also stand out for our service of others. And as we'll now see, Paul tells us that Timothy, first of all, stood out for his sympathetic service of others. So verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now, it was common in first century letters to include your travel plans at the end, but Paul includes his travel plans for himself and also for Timothy right here in the middle. And that's not by accident. It's very intentional because, again, he wants to present himself and present his friends as model servants, as examples of what he's just taught earlier about servanthood. And, you know, I just love, we've seen this before, but I love how Paul will so often take mundane things and make them meaningful. He's a master of making the most of every word in the letters he wrote. Even, Even a simple travel log he takes and packs with meaning here. And first of all, one of the things he does, and I love this, he he frames his plan to send Timothy to the Philippians in a specific way. Notice he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. And he does something very similar at the end of verse 24. He says, I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come to you. So do you see what he's doing? He's reminding the readers, and now us as well, that his plans, all of his plans, these were committed to Christ. Every decision he made was in submission to God's word and surrender to God's will for him. And that is clearly also how we should be making all of our decisions, all of our plans as well, with hope and trust in the Lord. Maybe some of you have have plans, have decisions that you've made for the the coming year. Again, Paul's example here is entrusted to the Lord. Let him lead you. That's the way that we're to plan. But again, the main purpose of these travel plans here was Timothy's example of service. And we see that it involved being cheered by and concerned about the Philippian church. Paul told the Philippians... If possible, he would send Timothy soon, he says, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, implying that Timothy would likewise be cheered by the news. Okay, so they were both genuinely sympathetic of those they served, so much so that their joy was linked to the church's physical and spiritual well-being. What an incredible connection that is. And we see the same thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you want to turn there, in 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 to 9, uh, we see the same thing as Paul again sends Timothy. 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 to 9. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. 
For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. So we see it there and we see it here in the letter of Philippians 2. This incredible connection that Paul and Timothy had with those they served. Their hearts were were so tied up with the well-being of the churches they served that they were emotionally affected by them. They were cheered, as we see here, by good news about them. But also, as we go on to see, they were genuinely concerned about any bad news. That word concerned here, uh, it's translated in a positive sense, but the same Greek word is translated later in chapter 416 as anxious in a negative sense, which gives us a sense of how significant this was to him. Uh, Timothy was not sinfully anxious, but he was sincerely attentive and affected by how the church in Philippi was doing. And that's a fine line, isn't it, between being anxious and being attentive. But the welfare of the Philippians were so important to to Timothy that they were on his mind. And that made him stand out. Much like uh, Scottish pastor John Welsh, who many years ago were told he was so concerned about his congregation that he served that many nights he would wake up in the middle of the night and he'd, he'd put on his big coat and he would go to the lean-to on his cottage in the Scottish Highlands and he would pray fervently for his congregation and, and worried about his health. His, his wife would often wake up and come and, and gently knock on the door and, my dear, Come back to bed, especially in the the cold, frigid winters. Come to bed. You're going to catch cold. And to which he would say, my dear, I have over a thousand in my parish and I do not know how their souls may be. I must intercede for their behalf. Church, are we so connected with each other, so concerned about each other's well-being that we likewise would be emotionally affected like that and, and would want to intercede for each other? Are we likewise so tied up with the this physical and spiritual health of our fellow Christians that our, our minds are on each other? Maybe even in the night like John Welsh or, or in prison like Paul where he wasn't thinking about himself but thinking about other believers or Timothy here as well. We should be because this is a big part of Christ-like service. We are called to be sympathetic servants, just like our sympathetic high priest, Jesus Christ, who is interceding on our behalf all the time. And like sympathetic Timothy, who was really the epitome of, of what Paul instructed earlier in chapter 2, but also in Romans twelve fifteen, where he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Timothy stood out for his sympathetic service of others, and so should we. But that's not all. Timothy also stood out for his selfless service of others. We read on in verse 21 to 22. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, 
how as a son with a father, he has served me with me in the gospel. I've said this before, but the natural bent of the fallen human heart is always inward, right? From the womb to the tomb, from young to old, we care first and foremost about ourselves, don't we? Me first. That's what we cry, essentially, from our first breath till our last. And no one has to teach us this, do we? No, that, that selfish attitude, it just comes innately. A little boy and his young sister were once riding on a hobby horse when the boy said, now, if one of us would get off this horse, there would be more room for me. <laughs> right? that, that selfless, me-first attitude. It's also what was prevailing, it appears, in Rome at the time when, when Paul first wrote this letter from prison. Because we see as he considered whom he would send to minister in Philippi, there was no one but Timothy who was willing to go. At least amongst all the, the young, healthy, spiritually mature leaders who would be able to go, who could go, Paul says here none of them would. None of them would go. Why? Because they all seek their own interests instead. And yet this shouldn't surprise us because remember what Paul had said earlier in chapter 1, 15 to 17, about the Christian leaders in Rome, how they were going around the city preaching because they wanted to inflict Paul. They wanted to gain some uh, influence while he was in prison and could not. He said this in chapter 1, 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. And then in verse 17, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. It seems this, this selfish spirit was just prevalent within Paul's context. And would we not say it is also prevalent in our own? Is this not also what so, in so many ways defines our own culture? Doing whatever it takes to get ahead. Stepping all over others so that we can step up in the world. Looking out for our own interests first and foremost. Really, this has almost become a virtue in our culture, hasn't it? Don't let anyone ever stop you from reaching your goals or realizing your dreams. We've all heard that before, haven't we? That's, that's really at the heart of our contemporary worldview. Look out for number one. Do whatever it takes to get ahead. And of course, this is completely antithetical to a biblical Christian worldview. It could not be more different than who Christ was and what Christ has taught us. Those who truly follow Christ, who have the mind of Christ, see things differently. We put others' wants, their needs, above our own so that we can serve others sacrificially. And that's what Paul was talking about in chapter two, 
Verse 3 and 5 to 5, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Well, for, for Paul, there was no better example of that than Timothy. While the rest were seeking their own interests, he was seeking those of Jesus Christ, it says here. Then others, and only then himself, which is the order of priorities we should have too, shouldn't we? Have you ever heard the acronym JOY, J-O-Y? Jesus first, then others, O, then yourself, Y. This is the order of priorities that Christ himself had and that will bring us true joy. So is that the the priorities in your and my life? Sometimes it can be hard to tell, can it? But I think one way that we can tell, one, one gauge of where we're at in that is how we spend our money and how we spend our time. What does that say about our priorities? Is it Jesus' interests first, then the interest of others, and then the interest of yourself? If the world was to take a look at our finances and at our schedules, at our bank books and our day planners, what would they conclude about us? Would they conclude they all look out for their own interests, not the interests of Christ? Or would they say of us, like Paul said of himself, clearly for them to live as Christ and to die as gain? Which would it be? Well, for Timothy, it was the latter. Clearly, it was the interest of Christ and the interest of others that he was seeking. Again, verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Throughout the book of Acts, we see Timothy had accompanied Paul to Philippi, serving the people there as a co-minister of the gospel with his spiritual father, and they knew his heart. They knew like father, like son. This young man would serve them selflessly as he had before, just like Paul, and just as we are called also to do to stand out for our selfless service of others. Because as someone said, it's when we forget ourselves that we do things that we will be remembered for. Let not, no one seek his own good, 1 Corinthians 10, 24 says, but rather seek the good of his neighbor. That was Timothy. Timothy stood out for his selfless service of others. But then finally, he also stood out for his submissive service to others. Verse 23, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. 
Again, Paul expressed his hope of sending Timothy to the Philippian church, but it all depended on how it will go. Probably speaking about his legal status. We saw earlier in chapter 125, Paul was pretty certain he was going to be released from prison, from house arrest shortly, and then eventually returned to Philippi to minister to the church there. But until then, Timothy, he says, would stay to keep his father in the faith company, uh, to meet his practical day-to-day needs. And this was especially important because as we're going to see next week, Paul was sending his other helper, Epaphroditus, at this time to to bring this letter. Both of them, we see again and again, were ready to go wherever Paul directed and were willing to do whatever Paul asked them to do. They were submissive to him and they were always happy to help in any way. Way, But especially Timothy, who has a reputation for this in the New Testament. Whenever we see Timothy, we always see him willingly, gladly going wherever Paul, wherever the other leaders of the church, wherever the church itself were sending to him to go. He was willing to do it, happy to do it. Acts 17, 14, Paul sends him to Thessalonica. And then just in the next verse, he sends him to Macedonia. Or sorry, to Athens, because that's where where Paul was at. And then after that, we see just a few chapters later, in 19, he sends him to Macedonia. Later, he would send Timothy to Corinth in 1 Corinthians 4, and then Thessalonica, as we saw in 1 Thessalonians 5. But always, every time we see him, he's gladly complying, ministering to whatever church he was sent to. In other words, Timothy was every pastor and every spiritual leader's dream. As one commentator put it, Timothy was an errand boy of the apostle and the church. And really, that's how we should all want to think of ourselves, isn't it? And our Christian service to others. We too should be freely at the disposal of others. Ready to go wherever, willing to do whatever in service even if it is a hard and humbling task. Because that was Jesus, was it not? In glad obedience to the Father, he was willing to serve, even to the point of death on a cross. He was willing to wash his disciples' feet, as we read earlier. To take the lowliest of position to serve. And he calls his disciples to do the same. Why? So that we would be known by this. And we would stand out as his disciples. So are we serving in such a way? No matter what the test, we're willing to serve. We're willing to do whatever we're called to do. I know some of you are because when I've asked you before, you gladly say, yes, I'll serve. As we saw before, all these equipped leaders, all the youth and junior youth leaders, all the others who serve in a thousand other ways, you're willing to do it. I'm so grateful. What a blessing that is to us as a church. I've heard some of you say to me, well, unless I have a good reason to say no, then I'll say yes and serve. That is such a blessing as a pastor and such a blessing to our church. And I would just hope that all of us could have that kind of attitude. I've done refusing were the words of an older Southern gentleman when his pastor unexpectedly asked him to emcee a church meeting. After telling the congregation that he was completely unprepared, he then went on to explain 
A long time ago, I made up my mind that when asked to do anything in Christian service by a church leader whom I have confidence in, if he thinks it's my duty, if he thinks I can do it, even if I do not feel prepared, I will try to do it, friends. I've done refusing. Imagine if we all had that kind of attitude. If we all stood out for this as we should, like Timothy who stood out for his submissive service of others. Like Timothy, we all should stand out for our service of others, whether it's our sympathetic service, our selfless service, or our submissive service. Counting others better than ourselves, looking out for the interest of others no matter what, because again, that's the mind of Christ, our Savior that so many have taken upon themselves as well. Model servants in the Bible like Timothy and like Epaphroditus who we'll look at last, next week, but also model servants in church history. Model servants, I'm sure, in our own church experiences. All of whom Paul calls us to imitate. Implicitly as he does here in this text, giving us Timothy as an example, but later explicitly in chapter 3, 17, where he tells us to imitate others. This is so essential, church, to our Christian service. Not only are we given principled ex, ex, excuse me, exhortations, we're also given practical examples of what it means to serve. And I personally have found this so helpful, especially when I'm struggling to serve, especially when the flesh is, you know, re, rearing his ugly head and I don't want to serve. No, that's, that's too low for me to do or I'm too busy to do that or I'm you know, all of the excuses that I give, and I'm sure you know what that's like. You know, when I'm in that place and I'm tired of serving, what I find so helpful is looking to model servants in the scriptures, looking to model servants in church history, looking to model servants in my own experience. And as I see how they've served, it encourages me and inspires me. And I would call you to do the same today. Have those model servants in your mind that you can just go to in those moments when you just don't want to serve. One of them has been so helpful to me personally is the founding president of, of uh, Briarcrest Bible Institute, Henry Hildebrandt. Uh, years ago, when I was uh, in seminary there, I, I wrote a paper on Henry Hildebrandt, a research paper. And what I found was that his servant heart was at the heart of his fruitful and faithful ministry. Uh, he wrote a, a book, I have it on my shelf, uh, called The Servant Leader or the model of servant leadership. And his autobiography, which we read as a staff last summer, is called In His Loving Service. You can see the theme. And actually, as I was researching and looking at the history books uh, about Briarcrest, this came out again and again and again, his servant heart. But there's one story that always stood out to me, that just epitomized his service. And I go back to this and I think about this often especially when I'm asked to serve in a way that I just don't want to serve, or I know I need to serve in a certain way that I just don't want to do. In his autobiography, after explaining how the small town of Briarcrest, which is where the school gets its name and where it began, uh, they lacked a regular sewer system at the time. And so Hildebrand goes on in his book to share how using some less than ideal bathroom arrangements became a big problem for the school and especially for the young president himself. He writes, assigned to empty the toilet pails in the women's dorm room every night after everyone retired, 
a young man could not take it any longer. So he quietly stole away from home in the night in the middle of the first semester. Since our suite was in, this, in that same dorm, it fell on the lot of the young president to attend to this duty every night for the rest of the year without anybody knowing it. Did you catch that? Hildebrandt, young man, somebody's got to do it. The whole year, every night, emptying the pail from the bathroom in the women's dorm. He selflessly and secretly served that student body by doing the most despised and disgusting task that probably all of us would never do. <laughs> Find a different bathroom. <laughs> but he did it because he knew it needed to be done. And that's a servant who's remembered for their service, who stands out for it. Well, let's pray that God would make us the same kind of Christians who would do the same kind of things. Yes, the kind of Christians who would even empty toilets for the sake of Christ and for the sake of his church. Because it's servants like that who stand out and who ultimately point to Christ, the greatest servant of all. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful that you've not, again, only given us this instruction to be servants of all, but you've given us examples, the perfect example of the Lord Jesus Christ who came not to be served, but to serve us and give his life as a ransom for all. But Lord, we're thankful too for, for other servants, people like us, people like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. Lord, may we too stand out as servants as they did. And also like Henry Hildebrand and so many others, willing to do whatever it takes to serve others, to be servants of all, so that we might point again to the greatest servant of all, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.